0: Today's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7-18. to Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with surpassing glory. Now if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit.
1: Thank you, Cherry. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for the great gift and privilege of gathering under your word. And so we pray now that by the power of your Spirit, you would soften our hearts and open our eyes to see afresh the treasure we have in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Let me start with a question Is there any glory in being a Christian? Is there any glory in being a Christian? You see, as I think back to my time as a little kid, when I was growing up and I was at school, I felt very small as a Christian. There weren't many other people in school who went to church. Uh, A lot of my teachers, actually, really didn't like Christianity. They would say a lot of bad things about Jesus and about the Bible, about the church. The question is then, is there any glory in being a Christian? It seemed like there was much more glory in doing well academically. It seems like there's much more glory in being part of a music group or being part of a sports team. And of course, it's not just our experience at school as a child. That continues at university, in the workplace perhaps, maybe in our families, our place in society at large. Is there any glory in being a Christian? Well, according to our passage this morning, There is, there is glory for Christians, lasting glory. Not because we're so special and impressive and mighty, but because the gospel is glorious. There is lasting glory for Christians, because there is surpassing glory in the gospel. You see, this morning we're going to continue in our little series in 2 Corinthians, this letter written from Paul, to this church in Corinth, and the Christians in Corinth, they were questioning whether Paul really was an Apostle, from their perspective. He was too weak, he was too unimpressive. How could it be that the living God, the God of all glory, would be a work through someone like Paul? And so in this letter, Paul explains his ministry, he defends his apostleship. And since we're only in 2 Corinthians for a few weeks, we can't go through the whole book. We can't go through every passage. And so you'll notice we've skipped ahead a little bit from last week. Last week, Paul showed us what the life of an apostle looks like and what that means for the life of a Christian. Well, in the verses that follow, Paul continues to make his case. He demonstrates to the Corinthians the integrity of his actions, changes in his travel plans. He demonstrates to them the, the, the sincerity sorry, of his labors for their sake as he proclaimed Christ. And in our passage this morning, he reaches a sort of high point where he demonstrates the authenticity of his ministry. And as Paul talks about his ministry, it is of utmost relevance to us today. Because as Paul talks about the ministry of the Gospel, as he explains this Gospel that he proclaims, he's talking about the Gospel that you and I believe. And so as Paul demonstrates the glory that there is in the Gospel that he ministers, he is showing us the glory that we have as those who believe that Gospel. There is lasting glory for Christians. Now, of course, it doesn't look like it. That's where we started. It doesn't look like there is much glory in being a Christian. In fact, in many ways, the Christian life is characterized by weakness. We saw this last week. And yet, for all who cling to Christ, there is strength in that weakness. And today, we see the shape that that takes. It may not look like it, but there is, in fact, lasting glory for Christians because there is surpassing glory in the Gospel. And so with that in mind, let's jump in and see the glory in the Gospel. And we'll spend most of our time on this because Paul spends pretty much the entire passage talking about this one thing, that there is surpassing glory in the Gospel. And the way he does that is that he explains his ministry by comparison to Moses' ministry. Perhaps you picked that up as Cherry read our passage for us. He keeps referring back to Moses. In particular, there's an episode in the book of Exodus that he has in mind Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. Paul's, this passage in our, our passage this morning is basically a commentary on what happens in that passage in Exodus. You see, in the Exodus story, we'll be familiar with how God Himself rescues His people out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You read through the opening chapters in Exodus, and it's full of excitement. God sees the oppression of His people. He sees their plight, and He does something about it. This is where you get the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. And yet, as you read through Exodus, we find out that that's not the end of the story. It's not the whole picture. Not only does God rescue His people from slavery, we find that God rescues them for something. He rescues them for a relationship with Himself. It gets to the heart of what God is doing in the world. He says to this people, you will be my people and I will be your God. God Himself would dwell in the midst of His people. And so if you read through the Exodus story, it's not just that God brings them out of Egypt. God then brings them to His holy mountain, to Mount Sinai, where God Himself would come down and be with His people. And so the Israelites get to experience The glory of God's presence with them. That's their great privilege. They experience the glory of the living God dwelling in their midst, and they experience it through Moses. You see, Moses had the awesome privilege of beholding God's glory. Exodus 33. He asks God, show me your glory. And God says, okay. God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. That's what it meant for God to reveal his glory to Moses. He would see the full weight of his goodness. This is how one writer puts it. The glory of God is the weight of the majestic goodness of who God is. And the resulting name or reputation that he gains from his revelation of himself as creator, sustainer, judge, and redeemer, perfect in justice and mercy, loving kindness and truth. Moses got to behold the glory of God, and then through him, the Israelites got to experience the glory of God's presence with them. And it's Exodus 34 that shows us how this happened. That's the passage that Paul is looking back to here. See, in Exodus 34, we see that Moses meets with God, he speaks with God, and then afterwards he tells the Israelites everything that God said. But as he does that, it's not like Moses is just this mailman who takes this letter and then just passes it on, sort of transaction. It's not like God sends Moses some WhatsApp messages and then Moses just sort of forwards them on to the group chat. It is so much more. It is so much richer than that. See, in Exodus 34, we find something quite remarkable. As Moses comes and tells the people what God says, his face is radiant. His face is bright. His face shines with the glory of God's presence with them. It's remarkable. The Israelites get to behold the glory of God in the face of Moses. And since you picture what they had when they met together, when they gathered together with Moses, it wasn't simply that they were just getting together with a bunch of friends, having a good time. When they got together, they weren't just thinking about ideas and talking about things. When they got together, they weren't even imagining, just imagining, what God might be like. No, as they met together, they experienced the glory of God's presence in their midst. What a meeting. What a gathering. You read about that and you kind of think, wow, Surely, it can't get any better than that. Well, according to our passage this morning, it can get better than that. In fact, it does get better than that in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There was great glory in Moses' ministry, but there is even greater glory in the Gospel. There is surpassing glory in the Gospel. And Paul demonstrates this by comparing his ministry of the gospel with the ministry of Moses. And so as we come back into our passage, you'll see in verses 7 to 11, there's these three comparisons that he puts side by sides. He, he keeps going back and forth between his ministry, the ministry of the gospel, and the ministry of Moses. And what he's doing, he's going from the lesser to the greater. He says, we know how glorious Moses' ministry was. Well then, how much more glorious is the Gospel? So, verse 7 and 8, we get this first comparison. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Now, verse 7 sounds more complicated than it is, but Paul is referring to Moses' ministry as the ministry that brought death. And we'll see why that's the case in a second. But what he says in verse 7 is that this ministry, the one that was engraved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, this came with glory. So much so that the Israelites couldn't even keep looking at Moses' face. How much more then is the ministry that brings life? He says, he describes it as the ministry of the Spirit. Verse 6, just before our passage, the Spirit is the one who brings life. How much more then the gospel that brings life must be glorious? Verse 9, we get the second comparison. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, that's Moses' ministry. Well, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? And finally, Verse 11, we have the third comparison. If what was transitory came with glory, what came to an end, there was just in one specific time and place in God's purposes, if that was so glorious, how much greater then is the glory of that which lasts, which abides, which continues the gospel? And so you see this set of contrasts here. Death, life, condemnation, righteousness, coming to an end, lasts. If this was glorious, how much more, then, is the gospel? Now, why is it that Paul refers to Moses' ministry as a ministry of death? You see, the law that came through Moses was good. What God gave to his people was good and righteous. There's nothing wrong with the law. In fact, by living in obedience to the law, you would find life. You would find blessing. And so the problem wasn't with God's law. The problem was with people. The problem was with our sin. In our sin, we were powerless to obey the law. And so what was supposed to bring life, in the end, brought death. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 7. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death because of our sin. But where Moses' ministry brought death, the ministry of the gospel brings life. He describes it here, we just said, as the ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who brings life. See, God promised to do what we could never do. A new heart I will give you, he says. A new spirit I will put within you. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you so that you can live in the way that I call you to. Ezekiel 36. By the power of the Holy Spirit himself, he would give us new life, enabling us to live the way that God has called us to live. Instead of just being written on tablets of stone, his law, his word, the way to life would be written on our hearts. Our sins would be forgiven. We would be put in a right standing before God. Jeremiah 31. And so we have this contrast. The ministry that brought death and condemnation. The ministry that brings life and righteousness. And so we get this summary in verse 10. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Many commentators use basically the same illustration here. You picture the moon on a really clear night. Imagine you're out for a walk or on a night hike. The light from the moon is magnificent. It's beautiful. It shines with glory. But then the sun comes up and in comparison to the sun It's as if the moon isn't even bright at all. There was great glory in Moses' ministry. But there is surpassing glory in the gospel. And so the result of the gospel is nothing short of glorious. See, in verses 12 to 18, Paul draws out the implications of what he's just said. And he continues with this comparison between the two. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Paul's ministry of the gospel is bold, it's open, it's direct. Not like Moses' ministry. Verse 13, he would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. See, we've just seen how Moses' ministry was full of glory. He reflected the glory of God. They experienced the glory of God's presence through Moses. And yet it was veiled, Paul says. You see, back in Exodus 34, we find that after Moses speaks with the people, he would cover his face. He would literally put a veil over his face, blocking them from seeing the glory that was reflected there. Now, at first sight, it seems kind of strange. In fact, in Exodus 34, we don't really find out why he does it. But here in 2 Corinthians, Paul explains what was going on. Verse 13, Moses would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Now, at first sight, it might seem as if Moses was hiding something as if the thing that's passing away is the glory on his face. He's got this really cool thing, this shine on his face, but, it, but it's fading. And so he hides his face to stop people from seeing what's actually happening. But that's not actually what's going on here. You see, the word translated end here, in this context, is not to do with the end of something, the, the time that something comes to an end. It's to do with the conclusion of something, It's to do with the outcome, the logical end, and the thing that's passing away. This gets a little bit nerdy, but the Greek here, the phrase, it doesn't match with Moses' face or the glory on his face. It's not to do with that fading and passing away. It's to do with Moses' ministry. We saw earlier, Moses' ministry was for a specific time and place in God's plan. And so you can read it like this. Moses would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the outcome, the conclusion of Moses' ministry. Now, what would that outcome be? What would be the logical end of his ministry? Well, Moses reflected the glory of God In Moses' face, the people got to experience the glory of God's presence with them. But these people were full of sin. As you read through the book of Exodus, you see how time and time again, the Israelites refused to trust God. They constantly questioned him. They questioned his purposes. They questioned his character. They challenged him outright. Even as Moses met with God on the mountain, they turned away from him and worshipped idols. And when the glory of God comes into contact with sinful humanity, it ends in destruction. They're consumed by his glory. Put it this way, the Israelites could not experience fully the glory of God's presence without experiencing his judgment. And so Moses puts a veil over his face. Moses isn't hiding something, he's protecting them. He blocks their access to God's glory because of their hard hearts. Verse 15, even to this day... Sorry, verse 14. But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Paul shows us that this veil stands as an image. The veil remains because our hearts remain hard. Rejecting God is never just an intellectual question. It's never just a question of evidence and facts, no. Paul shows us that it runs deeper. It runs deep down into our hearts. And what was true of the Israelites here is true of us today. Because left to our own devices, our hearts are hard. Left to our own devices, we could not experience the glory of God's presence without experiencing his judgment. And so what Paul does here, he puts a finger on the heart of the human problem. And then as he does that, he points us to the glory of the gospel. You see, Moses' ministry had to be veiled. But in the gospel, that veil is lifted. Verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, turns to Christ, the veil is taken away. When anyone turns to Christ and puts their faith and trust in Him, that veil is taken away. In a sense, what we have in verse 16 is a little description of what we have if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is our experience. That veil has been lifted away. We could never have brought it out about ourselves. We can't even bring it about in others. Think of it this way, whenever you ask anyone about their testimony of how they became a Christian, how God has been at work in their lives, they're never the main character. That story is never about what they have done to change themselves. How wonderful they are. No, that story is about God softening our hearts, opening our eyes. It is a work of grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Christ here is the Lord he's referring to. And it's not that there's no difference between Christ and the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying is that the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit, they're so intertwined that there's a unity here. And the result is freedom. Freedom from this veil that blocks us from God's glory. Freedom from the death and condemnation that comes from the hardness of our hearts. Freedom to behold the glory of God's presence. Verse 18, And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate, behold the Lord's glory. And we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. See, earlier on, we looked at the Israelites' experience, and it was pretty cool. We thought, how could it get any better? Well, what we find is that what the Israelites experience is what we get to experience, but even better in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul does something really quite exciting in verse 16. What Paul does here is he takes words from Exodus 34, words that describe Moses' experience before the Lord, and he reframes it as our experience. You see, in Exodus 34, we read that whenever Moses entered the presence of the Lord, he would remove the veil. What a privilege. Verse 16. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What Moses got to experience on that mountain is what you and I get to experience in Jesus Christ. There is surpassing glory in the gospel, and that means that there is lasting glory for all who hear and believe in that gospel. Verse 18 again, we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, behold the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory. See, Paul is not saying that Moses was all bad. No, he's showing us how what Moses did points beyond himself. What Moses experienced, what the Israelites experienced in him has all been fulfilled, it has been surpassed in Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection that God has brought us into the glory of his presence. John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made Him known. In Jesus Christ, God Himself made His dwelling among us. In Jesus Christ, God has revealed His glory to us. But then instead of leading to our destruction, it instead restores us to the glory we were made for. There was great glory in Moses' ministry, but there is surpassing glory in the gospel. And this means, friends, that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is lasting glory for us. Again, it's not because we're so great and impressive, but because we get to behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. This is what we were made for. This is what makes life. Life, to behold and to experience the glory of God. And that is what we have now. We have access with no veil to block the way. No circumstances that can ever get in the way. The glory we had is unfading. It's not like those trends and fashions that come and go. It's not like empires that rise and fall. It's not even like those things that we buy that are so full of shine but then lose their sheen so quickly. The glory we have in Jesus Christ is unfading. And it will stand unsurpassed. There is nothing new and better that can come along and outshine what we have in Jesus. There is nothing that will come and eclipse what we have in Jesus Christ. And when we grasp that, when we get a sense of what we have in him, the glory that we have through Jesus Christ, well, it shapes our perspective on life. There's not a specific thing that we do with this. Paul doesn't say, okay, now go and do this. But when we see this, when we grasp the treasure we have in Christ, it shapes our perspective on life. It shapes our perspective on the things that we pursue, the things we work for, the things we long for. It shapes our perspective on the things we have, that we treasure and that we hold on to. It shapes our perspective on our experience of life itself, both the highs and the lows. Because we know that there is lasting glory for Christians. And not just for some of us in this room. No, there is lasting glory for all Christians. We all who with unveiled faces behold the Lord's glory. Put it this way, this is not reserved for those who look impressive who look glorious on the outside. This is not reserved for the famous, the celebrity Christians that we all know about. This is not reserved for those in our church who seem to be so keen and who do so much. This isn't even reserved for all the Christians, those who have been Christians for a long time. No, this is for all who turn to Christ. And when we grasp that, It shapes our perspective on each other. It shapes how we view each other, how we think of each other. Because we know that there is lasting glory for all Christians. And then there's one more thing. See, so far we have been saying how the glory we have, it it isn't because we're great. It's because we behold the glory of God. But when we do, it never leaves us unchanged. We see that again in verse 18. As we behold the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Not only are we not destroyed by God's glory, we are transformed by God's glory. You can never experience this, and just walk away unchanged. It transforms us. And it transforms the story of humanity. You see, the story of humanity is started at such great heights, created with dignity and honor, made in the image of God, made to reflect God's glory in the world. And yet we know how that story continues. We know in our own experience that we're not what we're supposed to be. In Paul's words in Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But then this passage assures us that the story of humanity will end in glory. Because as we behold God's glory in Christ, we are now transformed into the image of Christ to reflect the glory that we were made for. Now this change will be incremental. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't all come in an instant. In fact, it can feel so slow. But it is inevitable. This is the work that God is doing. This is the work that God is doing in your life if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Friends, for some of us here, we may have come this morning and we feel in the way that we are. Perhaps there are areas of our lives that we just feel cannot change. In fact, we struggle to believe that it could ever change. Things that we keep to ourselves, things that we would never even share with others. And yet, this gives us utmost confidence because God will bring this work to a completion. Not only do we have lasting glory in Christ, We have transforming glory. And when we grasp that, it shapes our perspective on even ourselves. The question we started with, is there any glory in being a Christian? Well, it might not look like it from the outside. But Christians have lasting glory. They have transforming glory. Because there is surpassing glory in the gospel. And when we see that, it shapes how we think of everything. It shapes our perspective on ourselves. It shapes our perspective on each other. It shapes our perspective on life itself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the treasure we have in Jesus Christ. We thank that in your kindness, because of what you've done through him, we get to behold your glory. And so we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would soften our hearts and open our eyes to believe this afresh today. We pray that you would help us see this, that our perspectives might be transformed, how we view ourselves, how we view each other, how we view life itself.